are listening to the Human Care Podcast, part of the Invisible, Not Broken Podcast Network. I'm your host, Eva Minkoff. This podcast features conversations with health entrepreneurs, care professionals, patient advocates, and industry change makers. What do they all have in common? The mission to humanize healthcare. In every episode, we offer unique stories paired with education, actionable tips, tricks, and takeaways, all to help you better navigate healthcare and transform it into human care. Please note that this episode first went live on the original Invisible Not Broken podcast, which means that the interview likely took place long before this published date. If any dates or events are mentioned through the interview, they may have already passed, but be sure to enjoy the content and check out more up-to-date links in the show notes. Tammy, welcome to the Invisible Not Broken Pate. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> It's always a party with you, so that's why. That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not one without me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm so glad that we're finally doing this because it's really every time I talk to you, we clearly can't stop talking. So we'll see if we can get this in within an hour. But oh, guys, I am. Spoiler, so- you guys, it's going to be like a five hour interview. Just kidding. <laughs> Hey, you know, Monica and I had one that was two hours once and she split them into two episodes. It's always something that's possible. Yep. (laughs) Or it's back from work. But yes, today we have a very special guest, Tammy, who is actually, I'm going to have her introduce herself because I like the way she introduces herself. Awesome. Hi, everybody. I'm Tammy Stackelhouse. I'm the founder of the International Fibromyalgia Coaching Institute, author of Take Back Your Life and The Fibromyalgia Coach. And my focus is helping fibromyalgia patients who are tired of being held prisoner in their own bodies find hope and find freedom. Oh, that's me. I love, it. <laughs> I, I love even just that. Being prisoners in their bodies, I, I know that I can definitely identify with that. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners can as well. What was uh, your original experience with fibromyalgia? Like where did it begin and what did it morph into? Sure, sure. So I was one of those kids who was always sick, you know? I mean, like my parents always joked around about taking me to the doctor for maintenance. My sister needed repair because she was a tomboy. She would break things. (laughs) But, But I like just, I was like that car that you had that just like was always in the shop. Like that was, that was me and my body. And I didn't get diagnosed with fibromyalgia until 2006, but I can see like, even back as a kid, as a teen, I can, I can see its fingerprints on my life. Even back then, when I was in high school, we went to a neurologist because I I had headaches all the time, every day. And I'll never forget that experience. I'll never forget that neurologist telling me, well, there's nothing wrong with you. You just have headaches all the time. And, and as a teenager, even then, I'm like, what? What do you mean there's nothing wrong with me? This is not normal. Like, it is not right to have headaches all the time. What the heck? So, so that was my first awesome doctor experience. And it was just kind of a journey from there. It's mostly been my own research, my own, like, that experience was really the thing that, like, triggered my journey because that's when I started reading books. That's when I started looking at holistic medicine and treating the person as a whole rather than let's just look at this one symptom or this one, one thing that's going on. And uh, kind of, I'm glad that happened because it meant that when I was finally diagnosed or, or in the journey to be diagnosed, it set me up to, to really be able to do that kind of reading and learning and research on my own, you know? What uh, what were some of your first books, by the way? Or, sure, or yeah. So the first one, oh gosh, the first one actually was a book on my grandma's bookshelf. And the title was something about holistic medicine. I couldn't even tell you like who it was or like, I just was at grandma's house and read a book. <laughs> <laughs> but it But it was awesome. 
from there, I went and I read the Low Blood Sugar Handbook. That was one of the first things I thought might be going on with me is hypoglycemia. So that one was, was taught me a lot there. The next one was the, the yeast connection, looking at candida and, and that type of thing. It's so funny because every time I would read one of these books, I would go to my family and be like, oh, I know what's been wrong with me my whole life, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. I, and the next one, oh, now I know what was been wrong with me. But, you know, there were always things that never quite fit until I got to fibromyalgia and I read From Fatigue to Fantastic, Dr. Teitelbaum's book. And I was like, okay, you guys, now I really know <laughs> what's been wrong with me my whole life. And at the time that I read it, I was like, this is it. This, this is what's going on. It explains why I'm tired. It explains why I'm, I, I hurt. It explains why... I get sick every time I decide to, you know, get healthier and go to the gym, I would end up sick every time. All of those things, it's like, this explains it, you know? And that book, it was really interesting because reading it gave me the idea that I might have fibromyalgia, but it actually became truly helpful probably another five years later when I was actually diagnosed, I left my doctor's office with a handful of prescriptions and I went home to that book and I looked them all up and I'm like, ah, now I understand why she gave me like five things instead of just one because they all do something different. So, so that was a, that was a big one. I read Treating and Beating Fibromyalgia, Dr. Murphy. That was a great book. I read that after I started feeling better. It was interesting because I'm like, yeah, he's describing everything that I did along the way to get here. That was a good one. I, I've read a bunch. <laughs> but those were the early, early books that I read. Also the book on adrenal fatigue by Dr. Wilson. That was, that was another one that really helped me along the way in, in how to manage my own energy a little bit better so I wasn't burning myself out. Those are some good books. I know, I think Dr. Murphy's on uh, Wellacopia, actually. <laughs> yep. yep. All right, so, so where were you at this point after you'd been diagnosed and you were starting to educate yourself further? I hate to say this, but I feel like we all have kind of a breaking point, our, our low <laughs> point. Yeah. When, when, do you mind sharing that with us? Ah, absolutely. Absolutely. I've told this story before. I was thinking about this when, you know, getting ready to, to talk to you today and thinking about that low point. <clears throat> and there's really, there's really two. So the one, the story I always tell people is the, the moment when I realized how bad my illness actually was and that I needed to file for disability. Obviously, I've come a long way since then. But that particular day, we had company coming over the next day. My husband is normally very helpful, but this day he just wasn't. <laughs> it, it was like, I don't know, seven o'clock in the evening. I was still in my pajamas. And to be honest, I'd probably been in those pajamas for several days at that point. We, I know you guys listening can relate to this. And I was like, we've got company coming over. We've got to clean the house. Like we just, we have to, right? And so I'm in my pajamas. I've got the vacuum. I'm sitting on my stairs because I'm too tired to like stand and vacuum like a normal person. <laughs> so I'm sitting on my stairs trying to vacuum. And I just started sobbing. I just broke down and just started crying because I realized I, I can't take care of my house. I, you know, I'm looking at myself in my pajamas where I've been for a few days. I can't take care of me. Maybe this is what disability is all about. And it was like such, on one hand, it, w it w very much was the low moment, but it was also the turning point, right? Because that's where I'm like, okay, this really is this bad and I really do need to do something about it. I need to start the process of filing for disability. It was, it was a, a very much a reality, reality check. So that's, that's the story I tell all the time. But there was also right around that same time, Scott and I had some friends that got married and we lived in Portland at the time. They were in Denver and traveling to that wedding while I was at my worst 
it was the first time I ever had to ask for help in the airport, right? I remember sitting in the elevator in the wheelchair because I actually needed that help. And one of our friends who was also going to the wedding, like seeing me in the wheelchair in the elevator and like, oh my gosh, are you okay? What's wrong? I'm like, oh, this is just me, <laughs> you know? Because of course she's thinking, I just saw you at the wedding. You look totally normal. Like, why are you in a wheelchair? Did you like break something? Like, what's up? And it, that was that was very awkward and the first time that that had ever happened to me. And so figuring out how to navigate that while we were at the wedding, I, you know, I, I wasn't out there dancing with everybody else. I didn't get to go on the sightseeing trips and the hiking trip with everybody else. I was sitting in the hotel room and I tend to sort of gloss over that in my mind because I've, I've number one, I've gotten so much better, but number two, I've also come to terms with my illness and I'm very much okay with saying no to the things I have to say no to. And for me, it's not a, it's not a missing out. It's a, a positive of I'm taking care of myself. Right. And so I kind of apply that perspective to my past, but at the time, at the moment, it was hard you know, because I was missing out on all the things that everybody else was doing. Oh yeah, absolutely. And just from my experience, I found that those breaking moments, those, those low moments, when you're alone, all, all of them stay with you. But the ones that involve something that could be labeled as like embarrassing or humiliating, we remember them, but we don't bring them to the, the forefront of our mind very often. So it might be why like the other one is more commonly brought up. Just, just what I've noticed. Uh, it's yeah. unbelievable when we realize our turning points, sometimes they were moments of such deep, like the I'm not good enough that we can't even come back face to face with them. And I, I know when mine happened, I think, I think something, I, I would love to hear your opinions later on maybe root causes of fibromyalgia because there's so many so many different opinions and factors and studies and honestly I don't I don't know <laughs> there are so many possibilities like yeah uh, yeah for sure that does make sense to me is definitely a mindset shift I'm talking about getting it and like chronic stress and uh, I believe in some respects I decided hope that people don't get, get angry at me for this. I decided to have fibromyalgia. This is what actually a therapist said to me once. We've just asked me this question. Like, when did you decide that this was how your life was going to be? And even though I don't really think I decided it, I do remember the first moment, uh, a traumatizing moment. And before it, I didn't have pain. I don't remember pain before it. Yeah. And it was with ballet because anyone who's listened to me at all on this podcast knows that ballet is my <laughs> demon. <laughs> yep. But yep. Anyway. <laughs> you know, ha having some kind of a traumatic experience like that is very, very often a trigger for people. I always say that there's, there's, there's always some kind of trauma. I, and, and I, I say the word always, but like, there's a little asterisk there. Like, you know, I mean, like we can't say 100% always, always. But I mean, when my doctor, my neurologist, when he diagnosed me, he said, well, typically we find that people with fibromyalgia have PTSD. Do you have any childhood trauma? If I didn't recognize that ballet was actually traumatizing, I would have been a perfect candidate to say like, nope, I'm just a fluke. But I right. did happen to realize that. So maybe the asterisk is, is people who don't realize they've been traumatized because they wouldn't necessarily label it as such. Because if telling people I was traumatized as a ballet dancer doesn't really seem to compete with the typical PTSD people out there. <laughs> right. But, but I have had some friends who, who, who did ballet as kids and, and I, I feel ya. <laughs> I mean, look, you. I mean, if know? you've seen Black Swan, you know I'm not making this up. <laughs> like, right, right exactly. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> but you know there is another there is another category of of childhood trauma that nobody really talks about that I think is super important, and that's one of the categories that I fall into, which is 
good things done in the name of good medicine, but that are still traumatic to a child. So in my case, when I was born, like I wasn't even a year old yet, and they discovered that I, I, my tear ducts weren't working like they were supposed to. So they had to go in and open up my tear ducts. And, you know, back in the early 70s, y'all can figure out how old I am now. Back in the early 70s, like they didn't really think that they needed to do much for that, right? Like the kid's not going to remember. It's a quick procedure. My mom has always said it was probably one of the most traumatic things that she has been through <laughs> watching me, right? And I believe that that was traumatic to me. Like I may not remember it at all, but I think our bodies remember. I think on a cellular level, we remember. I think that's still stored in there somewhere. And I think there's a lot of people that fall into that category. You know, it could be anything from, oh my gosh, the time I was at the dentist and screaming and yelling and hiding in the corner, <laughs> right? Like that was trauma. And they are things that we tend not to think about because they were, they were necessary. They were good. Like I did need to see the dentist. I did need to have my tear ducts open. I did need to have my blood drawn. You know, all of these things that did need to be done that were good, but that were still traumatic. And I think most of the time when we think of trauma, we think it automatically equals bad, like something bad happened to you. And so we don't count these other things the way that we should. That is such a good point. I, I mean, I know that to be true, but I never thought about it that way. We always categorize trauma as something bad happening to us, but rather it could be any situation, a positive situation, and yet it stuck with us in a, in, and left a, a negative essence around mm -hmm. it. Actually, one of mine around ballet was my mom was crying because she was proud of me. It's this whole thing, like I fell on stage. It was my first big public performance. I fell. I didn't notice because I got right up and kept going. I was like, good for me. And then <laughs> little, little Eva. And she was crying when I saw her later. And... She was saying she was proud of me, but because she was crying, I registered, oh, I did something wrong. I didn't really realize I had done something wrong until you started crying. <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah, she was right, by the way. It affected the rest of my career. That, those dance directors, man. They, <laughs> <laughs> I was eight, <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> yeah, so, and definitely that's true with medicine. I, I've really been experiencing that with my sister who I wonder if she'll ever actually listen to this podcast because I think she's scared to as she has not been diagnosed with fibromyalgia, although she tells me things and in my mind, I'm like, mm, kind of sounds like fibromyalgia, but right? I don't right. go on that road, but we'll see. Obviously I want to help her if, if things actually get bad, but she had a medical procedure when she, on her first birthday, she had cat scratch fever, which is a little like rabies in her. She had actually the first fungal one ever. She's an anomaly and there are papers about her getting off track, but yeah, she had a huge lump in her neck and she had to go through all of that in the hospital. And she remembers vividly certain things that happened to her, like them putting the mask on her to put her to sleep and like metal bar on the crib and yeah, like it's crazy stuff. But but if she didn't get that done, she'd be dead. So right, right. But it was still traumatic. Yeah, right. And and I think that that's something. And and trauma, trauma is one of those things that is very unique to the individual, right? Like you and I could go through the exact same situation, and it might be traumatic to me and not to you. Like there's nobody that can really judge whether or not something is traumatic other than you, you know, like you're, you're falling on stage ballet story, right? Like there's probably lots of people that happened to you and it didn't necessarily affect them in the same way. And who knows, who knows why, right? We just have to know that it is what it is and adjust accordingly, right? And it could be a physical trauma. It could be a mental or emotional trauma. It could be... <clears throat> you know, anything like a car accident or an illness or in my case, chronic stress was really the thing that finally triggered fibromyalgia to 
rear its ugly head and be like, hello, here I am. So it's, we're all, we're all unique, but there's almost always some kind of trauma, chronic stress, mental or emotional trigger there. Great. And I know that you specialize in fibromyalgia, but I'm sure that's true to an extent with most chronic illnesses. It's, or at the very least exacerbated by, that's the whole thing about chronic stress and chronic illness. It's either going to be related to its origin or at least make it worse, if not both. I, I think it always makes it worse. I don't think there's ever a case where it doesn't. Someone is <laughs> right. totally welcome to tell me if I'm wrong on that. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and I do think that fibromyalgia basically acts like an amplifier. So whatever's going on in your life, it, it amplifies it generally in a negative way. I personally could make the argument that it also can amplify the positive, but in general, like if you have a little bit of pain, like let's say you have a shoulder injury, the pain that you feel with your shoulder injury, if you have fibromyalgia, like that's just amplified and not just in that area, but all over. If you get, you know, if you get the flu and you're tired and you feel achy, like fibromyalgia amplifies that. So it like everything is amplified and turned up a notch. And I think that's one of the things that patients and providers don't pay enough attention to. It's one of the reasons why we have to start slower when we're adding a new activity. It's one of the reasons we have to use a lighter touch if we're going to get massage. It's why we have to, you know, reduce the triggers as much as possible. Sometimes even like start at lower doses for medications or supplements, like all of those things, fibromyalgia acts as an amplifier for. And so we've got to, we've got to take it slower and more carefully. That really is true. I, yeah, I just tell everyone I'm really sensitive and I say physically, I'm actually not as emotionally sensitive as most people would think I am, but, but yeah, everything's just more. So like when I, oh, well, food poisoning is just the worst anyway. I've had it unfortunately a few times. It really just, you feel like you're dying. So that's another thing, but I tend to have flare ups after it as well, where yep. I'm not a human for a while. And then there have been times where I've actually had food poisoning and I didn't have a flare up afterwards. So when everything was out of my system, I was okay. Like basically a new human. But yeah, it, it's amazing what can trigger it. Cause I've noticed some illnesses or injuries happen to me and I'm clearly in the, the aisle of like a normal person. Like, Oh, this is how a normal person would react after this. And other times it's like, Nope, you're going to be just not, like, a bag of potatoes in a bed. <laughs> right. You got a little tummy bug or you were shocked. Oh my God. I had a fiber flare up once because I was shocked by something good. <laughs> like I just, because I was like physically in, in shock. Yeah. My body was uh, not so happy for like, what <laughs> you right. Exactly. One of the things that my husband said early on to me and when he said it, I, at first I was offended, but now it's, it's like become a thing. But he's like, you're delicate and sensitive. And I'm like, what do you mean? No, I'm not. I'm, I'm not sensitive. Like you said, like emotionally or whatever, like I'm not, I'm not a delicate flower. I'm not sensitive. You know, I'm strong. I can, but my body is definitely <laughs> delicate and sensitive. Like we've got to keep her happy. You know, she wants things to be just the right temperature, you know, <laughs> all of the things you and I were talking before this call about my bright light up there with the window behind me in my office. It looks like almost like a witness protection video <laughs> without my video, you know, my light in the front, I'm just like a silhouette. But, but if I'm, if I sit under that light too long, like I am guaranteed to end up with a migraine, you know? So like I turned it on right before you and I got on here and I'll, I'll turn it off and, and whatnot when I'm done. But, but yeah, like those are the things that nobody sees. Those are the things that we have to do to take care of ourselves that nobody knows about. 
you know, those of you watching this video, listening to this podcast, you, you might not know that I'm, you know, wearing my compression socks and my yoga pants and my comfy slippers. And, you know, when I'm done, I'm going to go sit in my zero gravity chair and, you know, like awesome. all the things that we do, you just see this little piece. Here are my slippers <laughs> yes. in the world. Thank you to my sister for <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. It's like we do all of these things to keep our bodies happy, to to keep our 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 fight or flight all calm and you know, simpatico and yeah. yeah that, it's a lot of work. Actually, um yeah, there are so many little things that make such a big difference. And someone I'm gonna be interviewing on a, a future podcast, I guess this is sort of like a little uh, a sneak peek. She was just briefly telling me her story. And the, the thing that really resonated me, with me is that being empowered by your illness in that you do have control, even if it's like little things. And that's how you, it can, it becomes part of you. It's not happening to you. I'm excited to talk more about her experiences with that in future episode. But what is your experience with that? Like, these, these little, these little tactics and how you then empower yourself. I assume there's something with your coaching. Actually, we should just go back and talk about your coaching. (laughs) Yes. Yes. You know, I, I, it's one of the things that I say so often, but I, I think always bears repeating. I am such a fan of coaching, not because I am a coach, but because coaching is truly what changed my life when I I had filed for disability, you guys heard the story about me being on the stairs. I did file for disability. And about a year or so later, I had a moment where I sort of got this vision for my life. Like I had this picture of where my life was going and it just looked like downhill, like not the way I wanted it to go at all. And so I scheduled an appointment with my doctor and I kind of talked to her about this and I'm like, you know, I'm looking at the side effects of the medications I'm on. I'm not getting better. I'm actually getting worse. Like this is not the way I want my life to be. What can we do? And, you know, it just was one of those magical moments. She actually had a health coach who worked in her office. She connected me with her. And that was literally the thing that changed everything for me. From the point I started working with my coach six months later, my husband and I were going to a conference and we had been talking about, okay, we'll rent a wheelchair because I want to, like, if I'm going all the way to Arizona, I want to make sure I actually get to attend the conference, (laughs) right? Not use all of my energy between, you know, the sessions and getting to the hotel and all of that. So we'll rent a wheelchair. We were just like brainstorming how, how I could do this with as sick as I was. And just within even a few weeks of that conversation, six months after I started working with my coach, I was able to attend the conference, didn't need a wheelchair, was dancing actually on the stage with some people. Yes. There's like, I I wish I still had the video from that. I think it's been long lost now, you know, because that was more than 10 years ago now. But yeah, it was, it was truly amazing how much my life changed with the help that I had from my coach. And the the main reason that all that happened was because I was finally able to implement all the things my doctor had been telling me all along for the three years before that, right? Like telling me how to make sure I get enough sleep and take care of myself and change my diet and change how I talk to myself and managing my own energy and all of those things. I didn't know how to take what she was telling me in the appointment and actually implement it into in my life. Like, how am I literally going to do this day to day to day? Like, what does that look like in my life? Because, you know, in your 15 minute doctor appointment, they, they, can, they can only tell you this is what I want you to do. They can't tell you how to do it, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, the coach really filled that gap for me and we got to brainstorm about, oh, okay, that didn't work. How do we strategize about doing that differently? You know, you didn't get to bed when you wanted to. What happened? Why? How do we set your life up in such a way that it can work? 
And so that, that's why everything changed for me. And so those are all the principles that I am using, all the things I learned along the way and why I wanted to be a coach. Because by, at the point when I started feeling better, I felt like I had this, this gift that I'd been given and, you know, thinking about where I had been before that, that phrase, be feeling like a prisoner in your own body. Like that's literally how I had felt. And I wanted to, I didn't want other people to have to feel that way. I felt like if I had been given this, this secret to feeling better, I wanted to share it. So that's why I became a coach. Oh, I, I love coaching in all senses of the, the word and also like the, I don't know how to say this, the extensions of that industry. Like there's all different types of coaches, right? But but the, the idea of a coach is that they take information that you provide or is provided elsewhere professionally and then make it work for you and, and, and basically bring that gift. Uh, I'm really not explaining this very well. <laughs> well, I, I can I tell you, you know, mind and but, <laughs> You can, you can probably explain this. Yes. I was actually just um, talking to somebody yesterday on the phone about this. He was thinking about being a coach. And so I was telling her that just a few weeks ago, I hired a coach and to help with my business. And the reason that I hired him was because there was a particular thing that I wanted to do, a particular problem I wanted to solve. And I didn't want to mess around trying to figure out the answer. I wanted somebody who had already figured it out to give me all the shortcuts, give me all the insider information, and to help me get there as fast as possible. And I kind of look as, at coaches kind of like, kind of like a, a mountain guide, right? Like if you're yeah. going to go out there and you're going to go climb Mount Everest, you're going to hire somebody who has done it before and can tell you exactly how to do it and lead you up exactly the best way. And that's what a coach does, right? Like you're still the one making the journey, but we're going to give you all the insider information and all the shortcuts and like all the, the secret ways of doing it faster, easier, better. Because for a lot of us, it's like, I don't have time to mess around. Like, you know, yeah, I figured a lot of this stuff out on my own, the fibromyalgia part of it, because the coach that I hired didn't have fibromyalgia, didn't understand fibromyalgia, so it did take me longer. But imagine if you had somebody who had already been where you want to go and could tell you exactly the fastest, easiest, best way to get there. What would that save you in time, energy, money, right? Like you could get back to living your life. You wouldn't be spending all your time going from doctor to doctor, trying to figure stuff out. Like you'd have your answers and you'd be feeling better. That's, that's what a coach is for me. That is a perfect analogy. Uh, I've had a health coach, a business coach, a life coach. So obviously I'm a fan as well. And to put that in perspective, I am a nutritionist and a trainer, still needed a coach. I've had a business before Wellacopia, still needed a coach. Yep you're also going to always be biased and you're always going to try a million different things. So that's what I meant by like, you also give a coach your knowledge. So yes, you, exactly. Here's all the things I have tried and haven't tried and what's worked, what hasn't. And so they can take that into the mix and, and then give you something really truly personalized. That's the other great thing about coaching is it's, it wouldn't be coaching if it wasn't personalized. Exactly. Exactly. I, especially with fibromyalgia, like anybody who knows anything about fibromyalgia, like if you are a fibromyalgia person listening to this, you know that one of the universal truths is we are all very different. Like we don't respond to treatment the same way. Our, our illness shows up in our bodies in different ways. Like the way we experience our pain, the way we experience our fatigue, like it all shows up differently. So it's, it's pretty difficult to have somebody create a one size fits all type of a program to really help you when we're all so different. Like, yes, there are some, some common principles like the idea of self care and like, there's a few things that are universal, but for the most part, it's really like Eva was just saying, it's gotta be, it's gotta be unique to you. It's gotta be what's going on in your life. 
you may be, you know, 20 something and going to college and need to know how to navigate that. Or you may be a stay-at-home mom with a bunch of kids crawling all over you and you got to figure out how to navigate that. You may be retired. You may be a career woman. You may be a man with fibromyalgia. Like those are all different concerns, different life situations and need to be addressed in different ways. So yes, coaching totally should be, should be personalized. Amen, mama. <laughs> I don't think I've ever said that in my life. <laughs> you just bring it out in me. Um, so do you want to share with us a bit more about your particular approach? Oh, so you started the International Fibromyalgia Coaching Institute, right? Yes. Yes. Good job. Those are a lot of words. I a lot of times Woo! think, why did I give it such a long name? <laughs> yeah, it works. It works. IFC for those. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Why don't you share with us a bit about your journey and, and what you created from that? Yeah. So I became a coach in 2009. So this year is my 10th anniversary as a coach, which is pretty awesome. Uh, a lot of coaches don't make it that long. So that's a, that's a lot of experience. In 2015, I wrote my first book and I did that because I, I knew I couldn't help everybody in the world. Like literally, like there are millions of fibromyalgia patients. I cannot help them all if I'm doing it one at a time. So there's got, I've got to get this information out of my head into an, another medium, another way for people to connect with it. So I wrote my first book and within a couple of months, I, my coaching practice was full. I, it was, in many ways, I kind of created an even worse problem because then I had people who knew about me and the work that I did and, you know, but I can't help you. Like, oh God, it was awful. So I started I just kind of threw it out there and said, Hey, I don't know if anybody's even interested in this, but I would love to teach a few more people how to do the work that I do is if anybody's interested, like I'm going to do this class and totally sold out. It was, it was amazing. That first class was awesome. Um, all my classes are awesome, but like there's something about your first class that's just so special because those people like they decided to trust me and join me on this journey before, before the Institute even existed. Right. It was just me saying, Hey, anybody want to learn? <laughs> so, you know, like though that first group is particularly near and dear to my heart and just like really seeing their excitement and their passion and, oh my gosh, it is the best thing in the world. When I see them sharing stories of their client's success, because those are people that I, I wouldn't have been able to help otherwise. So it just, it's like, you know, it's kind of like having a family, right? Like your grandkids and your great grandkids. And it's just, it's just so cool. And so over the last three years, we have, I've had a bunch of people go through the training program. We have close to 40 coaches in five countries around the world. I do have a class right now that's going to, you know, one of the students in there is going to give us six countries, which is awesome. And my goal is a hundred coaches in 10 countries in the first five years. So I've got a couple more years to go. And it's really like my goal to have that many in all those countries is really about helping the patients, right? Like there's only so far I can help somebody who is in another country. I don't know your medical system. I may not even know your language. I don't know the, the culture, right? I don't know what resources are, are actually available to you. I know what works for me, but I really, I love having having graduates in other countries because they, they literally speak the language in many cases, <laughs> right? And, and we get to just expand that reach and help people. And primarily what we focus on is, is whatever it is that you need help with. So for me, a typical coaching call goes something like this. So first I'd be like, hey, how did your week go? Super simple, but the magic of that is we get to go back and look over the last week of your life. What went well? What didn't go well? Was there a situation that came up that caused a fibro flare? Can we look at, at what happened so that you can maybe avoid it next time? Is there anything you could have done differently? Is it just like, uh, that's just the way it is. There's nothing I could have done differently. So now I'm going to make sure that the next time this happens, I've got planned recovery time. 
So we, we basically just look at your life and strategize how to minimize the impact of fibromyalgia on it, whether that's adding in treatments or changing how you manage yourself, or like I said, you know, planning in recovery time. Anytime I travel, I always have to make sure that I've got recovery time. And then that means that I'm not having to cancel things. And it means that fibromyalgia isn't impacting my life as much because I planned for it. And I think that's, that's really the, the biggest secret is all the planning that you have to do. And you can, if you, if you know how to plan for the big stuff, then it allows you to be spontaneous in the, little, the littler things, but there's still tons of planning and preparing and yeah. yeah. What would you say to people who feel like they already understand their illness really well? So a lot of people have been living with this for years and we're like, nah, nah, I, I know what's up. I know what my body has to say and I know what my environment is and, and my boundaries. What would you say to them? Totally. And, and you may very well. So if you're a person who says that and you're living the life that you want to live, then, then awesome. Like I pro there probably isn't much I can do to help you. But if you are saying that, but you're not living the life that you want to live, then it's worth getting an outside perspective on that because we can't, we just can't see our own stuff. Right. So that's one of the reasons why I hire coaches, right? Like I know where I want to go with my life, with my business, with my health, but sometimes I can't see like what am, the things we do unconsciously, like how, how do you know what you're doing unconsciously? They're unconscious, <laughs> right? So whether it's overeating or it's pushing yourself when you shouldn't push yourself or the way you talk to yourself in your head, you don't know what you don't know. And it's always worth, if you're where you, if where you are makes you happy and you're happy there, then awesome. Right. But if you're not, if you want something more, then talk to somebody who might know something that you don't know, might have a perspective that you don't have, might know of a supplement you can try or a therapy that you can try, or maybe just a little tweak on how you manage stuff. Obviously it's always your life, your body, you get to make the choice, but more information and more perspective on things is never bad. Never, never bad. Uh, I love the term, you don't know what you don't know. I remember the first time I heard that, mind blown. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like, I guess that's true. We know what we don't know. Like, so like there are things we know we don't know. Like I don't know rocket science. Be cool if I did, but I don't. But I didn't know that I didn't know certain things about my past, like that eight-year-old falling and how it had such a big impact on my life. I did not know that. I didn't know I didn't know that for a really long time. Right. And it, that had a big impact on my now and how I actually perceive my pain and how I deal with my pain. Now, I love support groups. Like I'm part of and have a few Facebook groups. There are a lot of different apps that also have community but that's not the same as a coach because a coach is for you. They are your partner in your journey and you might have a wonderful, wonderful family and friends, but they really don't substitute professional perspective and help. And that's why yeah, I say to everyone, it's very important to have love in your life. And that means all kinds of love, but don't ever knock an impartial party, especially a professionally trained impartial right. party. Everyone should have at least one. Right, right. At the very least, in, in my opinion, I say this sometimes, in my opinion, some sort of a therapist, and I include this, the health coach in this. What I mean is someone that they talk to and work through men emotional, mental things. I Exactly. When you, even if you've got super supportive friends and family, when you are going to somebody like that and asking what you should do or asking for their perspective, they're almost always giving you an answer that is colored through what they want, right? So like if you go to your spouse and you're like, I'm wondering if I should do this thing, you know, 
or if it'll be too much for me, like the answer may be colored with whether or not they want to get dressed up and go with you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like just using that as an example. It's so um, true. I, I'm but, sure my husband has done that. <laughs> you know, but I mean, we've all had that, that, that friend who, when we try to maybe start being healthier, maybe start changing how we're, how we're eating, maybe changing our diet a little bit, that friend who's like, oh, you know you want a little piece of cake, right? Like, it's such a perfect example because we've all probably been there. But that's also true for the other areas of your life. And when you are working with someone, when you're working with a professional, when you're working with a coach or a counselor or therapist, our job, our entire job is you and what you want. And so what that means is I'm going to support you in your highest desires, which means I'm going to support you when you want to do things. Yes, but I'm also going to not support you when you're choosing choices that I know are not what you really want. Right? So reminding you of, oh, you know, your doctor is wanting you to go gluten-free. This could make a huge difference in your pain levels. You really don't want that chocolate cake. I know you think you do, but remember you don't. So Mike, my whole job is to advocate for you so that you have your best life. And I, I always think of, of, of it being like being lost in a forest, right? When you're the person who is in the middle of the forest, all you see are trees. You don't know if, you know, if it's long and rectangular and you're in the middle, like which side is the short way to get out, <laughs> right? Like when you're in the middle of the forest, you don't know. But as the coach, I'm like in the helicopter up above the forest, right? I can see you and I can see where you want to go and I can, I can help you get there faster and I can remind you of what it is that you want. And I'm on your side all the time. Yell, yell down on the microphone. What is it called? That really loud horn thing. <laughs> I'm imagining you from a helicopter overlooking me in a forest, scrambling. No, like the megaphone or whatever. Turn left. <laughs> no, no, your other left. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, when when did you decide when being coach that you wanted to be a coach? What, what was there a moment there? Yeah. Yeah. So first, you know, as a patient, I was just focusing on feeling better, right? Like I was barely getting through the day. And so my, my whole focus was, was just how do I feel better? In fact, at the very beginning, I remember my coach asking me like any coach would, where do you want to be in five years? And I remember telling her five years, like, I don't even know what I can do next week. And so for a long time, my mantra was just, if I stick to my program, if I do what I'm supposed to do today, tomorrow will be a little bit better. And that was literally all the farther I could think was if I just do today well, then tomorrow will be a little bit better. If I just do what I need to do today, tomorrow will be a little bit better. And all those little bit betters end up adding up, right? And so it was probably, I don't know, I would say it was probably three or four months in. It was actually my coach who brought it up, who was like, you know, you would be really good at this. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I, I know I would be. Like I, I was always the person that like their friends would go talk to and ask for advice. Like I've basically always been a coach, right? And so I'm like, yeah, but I'm, I'm not there yet. Like I'm not well enough to help somebody else yet. Like I don't want to take on clients and have to like cancel their sessions because I am in a flare. Right. So, so yeah, it was probably about six months after I started working with my coach that I finally was like, okay, my husband was really excited about coaching because he had seen, you know, he got his wife back. And so I was like, okay, I will do this if you do this with me because I just don't feel confident enough in my, in my own health that I feel like I could take this, take, you know, start a business on my own. And so he's like, yeah, yeah. So, you know, the first few months he actually was coaching with me and now it's like, it's all me. It's not, <laughs> you know, but, but that, that beginning, 
it was such an important thing to have his support and have him be like, basically, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll help catch if you drop something, you know, and it really gave me the space to, to figure out that, that creating this, this career has actually been a huge help in, in helping me feel better, right? Like I could structure my life in such a way that it supported my healing instead of competed with my healing, which I think is something that a lot of, a lot of us with chronic pain, chronic illness, fibromyalgia, like that's what we feel like. We have to choose our health or our career. We can, we can do all of these things or we can feel good. And I don't think you have to have an or. I think you can have an and but it does mean setting your life up in a way that works for you. And the more control you have over that, the more choices you have, right? Like I get to choose who I work with, when I work, how I work, where I work. Like I get control everything because I can always say no. And that means that I don't have pain. That means that I can do the things that I want to do and, and feel good. Yeah, I I love the fact that I too feel comfortable now having a startup and also having my illness. And when I say comfortable, I mean, I used to be actually pretty good at giving myself what I needed health-wise. Like, I guess the majority of the time, but then I would find that Wellacopia would suffer, which would then make me feel also worse because I'm trying to help people who are sick. So, <laughs> you know, right, right, right. Like you end up, it, if you choose you, then somebody else suffers. Like that's never good. That's right. not a good feeling. And so it took, it took a while for me to, like, I decided to take the baby steps and really figure out how can I actually accomplish, I'll say work-life balance here, but really that is just such a uh, vague term and it's, Yeah. But for me, what it meant was that the majority of the time, I really feel like I have a handle on what's going on. I'm doing what I need to, but I'm also doing at least the bare minimum of what I need to really be there for the the people that I'm taking care of, even if it meant that Wellacopia was really small for a while. Right. Uh, you, you think about what are the most important things to you and the impact that you're trying to have and really work it out that way. So now I got, if I look back at myself a year ago, I work, I think like four more hours a day now or more and sleep. I do get more sleep actually, surprisingly, but because I've learned like what kind of play means the most to me and I make mm-hmm. sure I get that. I make sure that I go to bed at a certain time. I can't always fall asleep. That's a different problem, but like at least I go to bed a certain time but you know i i got this water bottle by the way i'm gonna read what this says if i haven't in a previous episode my coach my life coach gave me this actually it says believe in yourself and you will be unstoppable i love it <laughs> yeah you know and those those little things like the little things are everything right well, like every not, time yeah. Mm-hmm. Every time you look at that, it gives you a little dopamine hit of joy, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Where you're like, oh. Dopamine H2O. It's like all you could ever want. Yeah. <laughs> um, some people might find stuff like that cheesy, but I'll tell you, you start saying it enough, it, it becomes real. There's a reason why affirmations are so popular, especially now. Mm-hmm. It ain't just hooey, my friends. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And I actually want to go back to something you were talking about a, a little bit ago, the, the idea of balance. And I tell you what, there is nothing like running a business to take you down the path of self-improvement and self-discovery. Like running a business like highlights all the things you wish you didn't know about yourself, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like a giant spotlight. But what, And one of the things that I've realized is that balance is is not in a in a particular moment right because balance is like the balance between hot and cold is lukewarm the balance between you know something that's very savory or or not like it's bland so balance like 
the exact moment of balance is sort of nothingness. And we don't really want to live there. And so balance really means more of the, the teeter-totter idea, right? Like on one hand, you have your business, and on the other hand, you have your life. And sometimes you're mo more focused on your life or your health, and sometimes you're more, more focused on your business. Sometimes hot feels good, sometimes cold feels good. <laughs> sometimes we want it salty, sometimes we want it sweet. And so balance is really about finding your particular magic formula of, of what makes you feel the best and really just following that, that feel good following, like your body's going to tell you, Oh, we like this. We want more of this. And looking at balance as a, as a bigger picture than, than even one moment, one day, even one week. Like there are seasons in my business, like May, for instance, Fibromyalgia Awareness Day, like that is going to be a crazy, insane, busy month. And it's always going to be like that in my life. As long as I am helping people with fibromyalgia, like May is always going to be crazy. And that's okay as long as I balance it out with a time that's not crazy. And so you really have to find your, find your magic, but that really realizing that gave me the freedom and the permission to focus hard on my health, my family when I needed to, and to focus hard on my business when I needed to, and, and find a balance in the bigger picture. Balance in the bigger picture. That's definitely something to take home. We, it's, interesting how the little things matter so much the little things that help us but we also focus too much on the little things that don't help us so you really yeah. can can look at it both ways think bigger picture and focus on the good little things that's right that's <laughs> right one of the one of the first assignments i often give uh clients is to start a joy list I think fibromyalgia often feels like an enormous taking away of things, right? Like, oh, now I can't eat gluten. Okay, now I'm supposed to get rid of sugar. Okay, now I can't, you know, do that exercise I used to like to do. Now I can't do this job I used to do. And it just kind of keeps taking away things. And so we've got to be purposeful about adding in the things that matter. We've got to be purposeful about adding in our joy. And if you've had fibromyalgia for a long time, you may be very, very disconnected from what those things are, <laughs> you know, and they don't have to be expensive. They don't have to take a long, a long time. The number one thing on my list is rubbing the belly of happiness and joy which doesn't happen to be here, but often is sitting right here next to, next to my, next to my desk. And that's, you know, petting the cat. <laughs> you know? He loves to have his belly rubbed and it's like a big round Buddha belly. It's just so good. So, you know, like finding your joy in those moments and purposely adding the joy into your life. That's what makes life worth living. And that's why we do things like go to bed on time, <laughs> right? That's why we choose to say no to some things so that we can say yes to other things. And if you don't know what that joy is for you, if you don't know what that, those things are that bring you joy in your life, then you don't know what you want to say yes to, so you don't know what you need to say no to. In so. short, ask a coach. <laughs> <laughs> Or yes. ask, I mean, ask yourself, but yes, definitely yes. Uh, yeah. merit in a coach there. All right. We do have to wrap up, but of, of course, like I said, I, I have a million things I could still ask you. So maybe <laughs> we'll have to head back. Uh, but Tammy, thank you so much for, for taking the time to talk to me, to, to talk to all of our listeners, those with fibro, those without yeah, all of you uh, listening can get so much from what Tammy had to tell us today. So Please leave comments below, uh, send us an email, shout out on social media. We're definitely building up on uh, Instagram and uh, yeah, I'll, I'll uh, talk to you soon, Tammy. And talk to <laughs> later too. It's been a blast. It's been a blast. <laughs> Indeed. All right. Bye, love. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Invisible Not Broken podcast. I'm Eva, your new co-host and co-founder of Wellacopia, the matching platform for chronic illness patients and practitioners. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, be kind, be gentle, be badass. The Human Care Podcast is part of the Invisible Not Broken Podcast Network, a network that includes several chronic illness, disability, and health-related podcasts, including Explicitly Sick, hosted by Monica Michelle, Discomfort Zone, hosted by Jason Herderick, and of course, the original Invisible Not Broken podcast. We absolutely love feedback. Love, 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 love feedback. And connecting with you one-on-one or within our Invisible Not Broken podcast community. So please reach out to us anytime. We're open to topics, critique, you name it. This is a podcast created by us for you. You can find information about all of our network podcasts, community, and how to contact us all on invisiblenotbroken.com. You can also find us on social media platforms through the handle Invisible Not Broken and Human Care underscore podcast. That's it, everyone. Thanks for listening and being a part of our mission to transform healthcare into human care.